0: My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 26
1: of the podcast. We're going into our second quarter century here. It's pretty great. Um, And we are resuming our journey through early Marvel Comics with June of 1963. You know what I was just thinking of as I was saying that, Mike? Hmm. Is that June of 1962 is when all this stuff started.
0: I was just wondering that same thing. So we've been doing this a year. Yeah. Or we've covered a year.
1: We've covered a year of monthly Marvel superheroes. My Um, God. 83 to 94 of Journey into Mystery. That's 12 issues. We're doing 95 today. Um, Well,
0: we could just end the show. And I that mean, was the first year of Marvel. It was pretty great, kids, wasn't it? <laughs> right? Make ours Marvel. We cover the first year. I only say that because, you know, if we want to keep going, we have to talk about Journey into Mystery number 95.
1: That is the first thing on our plate for today. So, yes, we are going to have to talk about this. Who is it that gets to talk about this?
0: Me. Oh! No. <laughs> I, okay. Oh, kids? See, this is, this is how you know that I'm not cheating you. Because if I was, I would have said you on this
1: kids? one for sure. We are we are eager to get to the super scroll discussion. We've got two comics to get through
0: first. Are,
1: are less than awesome.
0: All right. <laughs> Journey into mystery number ninety-five, which was on sale June fourth of nineteen sixty three, like we said, cover dated August of nineteen sixty-three. The story is a thirteen-pager called The Demon Duplicators. Which, by the way, that doesn't even make sense. And I just realized that literally right now. But mm-hmm. We can keep going there. So, I'll do the summary. The story starts out in Asgard, which is probably the coolest part of the story. Um, And it's got Odin talking to his son Thor. And he's like, hey, Asgard is really experiencing a drought-like right now. So, I called you over to do something about it. And he's like, hey, no problem, Dad. I got this hammer here. And he, like, creates a thunderstorm. And he's like, I'll just leave that running for seven days and I'll be right back. I'll come back and turn it off. And his father's, like, thumbs up. So then he goes back to Earth, and while he's flying to Earth, he's thinking about how he has to make it to this presentation. A presentation Okay, a presentation where Donald Blake's robot, synthetic robot thing that he invented, apparently, is being presented. And he's not going to go there as Donald Blake, though, because Donald Blake hired some other guy named, like, Dr. Xanadu or something, Professor Xanadu, to, like, Zalton, I don't know what his name is, who cares, uh, to present his robot invention. So he's going to go there as Thor to, like, I don't know, create a little show or something. So he shows up, he lands on the stage, everybody says, ooh, Thor, and, like, there's this big metal case, and Thor's first feat is to rip the doors off. And inside is the android, synthetic android that Donald Blake invented. Donald Blake invented. Um, right. You know, it's, the the,
1: fam- the family physician on the corner there.
0: Right. It's a synthetic android that's green. He kind of looks like – well, he looks like a skinny, radioactive man, essentially. I think he's wearing clothes. I can't remember, though. Maybe he's naked or a eunuch or something. But yeah, uh, he, he
1: just he just wears uh, trunks.
0: So he kind of looks like – hey, he looks like the Vision without his costume on, I guess. Um, and anyway, this Dr. Xanadu guy is, like, talking about how amazing he is. And look, he can, like – solve this problem that I haven't been able to solve my entire life and the, the the android writes on the chalkboard and solves it in five seconds and look he can take Thor's most powerful punch and Thor like hits him as hard as he can with his hammer and doesn't even hurt and they're talking about how great he is but then like Mr. or Professor or Dr. Xanadu like accidentally quote unquote messes up the controls and starts like this chain reaction inside the robot and Thor's like, oh, that's not good. He's gonna blow up. But don't worry, he's so tough or whatever. He'll we'll all be fine. But the doctor's like, no, no. Actually, um, he invented it so that like if it blows up, his skin blows apart and shards of glass kills everybody. Because you know he's a good guy. So you better do something. So he wraps him. In, Thor wraps him in a door and like attaches him to his hammer and throws him into the sky and he blows up there, right? And okay, hey, well that sucks. You may you made an accident. I guess you weren't a very good presenter. Oh, well. And then they go their separate ways. And then Thor goes back to his office, and he turns into Donald Blake. And when he gets there, he wonders where Jane is. But before he can find out, he realizes that Dr. Xanadu's there. And he's like, what are you doing here? You really messed up my presentation of my awesome robot that I built. And he's like, I did it on purpose, see? Because I can't remember why. But here, I want you to help me uh, fix this duplicate array that I've invented. So far, I can only make it invent inanimate or duplicate inanimate objects. I wanted to duplicate people. And since you're a doctor, you're the natural choice, I guess, to, uh, you know, help me. It's like, well, I'm not going to help you. I'll kill Jane. I'm totally going to help you. So he helps her or he helps him. And like while he's in the alleyway duplicating cats and cackling about how awesome it works that it works on organic life now, um, Donald goes into the back office and turns into Thor to go rescue Jane. And then the guy, like, obviously sees him because there's a big thunderstorm or something. And he's he's like, oh, Donald, you're Thor. And he instantly, like, um, shoots him with the duplicator ray and talks about how amazing his duplicated Thor is. And, in fact, he's going to give him two hammers. So he, like, gives him another one with a duplicator ray. And now there's two hammered Thor. Oh, no. And the real Thor is like, oh, I'm going to get beat up. I better get out of here. So he flies away. And, like, the guy, like, tries to get in his way by duplicating airplanes and buildings and stuff to make him bonk into – comically and then um, at one point Thor throws a hammer at the fake Thor but the guy like creates another Thor to get in the way of that hammer to block for their real – oh my god, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, Anyway, long story long, Thor (laughs) finally realizes that the side of his hammer has words on it that say something like you have to actually be worthy to be Thor. And once he realizes this, he tosses the hammer at the fake Thor. And indeed, fake Thor is actually completely powerless. Um, so he's been running from nothing, essentially. And it like just disappears like a ghost. And then So then he goes after Dr. Xanadu, who's standing on a bridge. And that guy's like, oh, I'm going to duplicate myself so that he grabs the wrong guy. But while he's doing that... He plummets to his death and dies a la Adventures of Superman anytime someone figures out Superman's secret identity. So he's dead and Thor lets the duplicate live. And luckily Thor also found out where Jane was at some point in this story. So he goes to rescue her and pretty much allows like everybody to think that the duplicate Dr. Xanadu is the real thing. And since duplicates are all opposite, this is a good guy, not a bad guy. The end. Yeah, And it is like... Definitely the worst story we've ever read on this show, I think. I can, I can safely say. And I want to say maybe the worst story we will ever read on this show. Okay. Because it was um, bad. Yeah. So bad.
1: It is bad. There's a there's an ad for a comic in Fantastic Four 18 mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about that uh, I want to reserve as a contender for worst comic we'll ever, <laughs> we'll ever uh, cover on this show. Okay. But, um, okay. So, yeah. The cover... Even though the quality of the art is pretty solid and the figure work is pretty great, mm-hmm. it's not promising. Because it has the Thor fighting the Thor and throwing two hammers at him and you know you've met a far more powerful duplicate of yourself, you know, you can the the one foe you can never defeat. And it's just it's it did not fill me with anticipation.
0: But you know, if it was Thor fighting Bizarro, that actually might have been a fun story.
1: Okay, so yeah. Which is
0: what they're promising here. They're basically promising Thor fighting Bizarro with two hammers instead of one. And, like, we don't get that. Right. So, um, but, yeah, the story, the cover's not super amazing either. But.
1: And we start off with ridiculousness. There's a drought in Asgard, Mike. <gasps> oh,
0: gosh. Kids, I hope you're not crying right now. I forgot my summary. Yes, he goes back to Asgard and turns the thunderstorm off so they don't all drown. There we go. <laughs> That's it. I forgot all about that part.
1: After it stormed for seven days straight. Right. Yeah. Um, all of your plants that were really dried out—they're drowned now. Yeah. Sorry, kids.
0: Yeah, why not a light rain? Come on. Anyway, right.
1: Um, I mean, according to myth, the forty days of rain will flood the entire planet. Seven days of rain—you know—you're you're like a twenty percent of the way there. That's twenty percent of the planet flooded right there. Yeah. Uh, um, but it just—it's—it's it's Asgard, Mike. It's right. It's heaven. Right. There's not enough rain to grow the food to feed the gods
0: yeah I never knew that you know how all the Greek and and Norse gods and stuff have jobs I thought the jobs were on earth I didn't realize it, like you had to go back home and make it rain too you yeah it just weird. seemed weird
1: and I guess later whenever they sort of flesh out the, ni- the, the 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 different various Norse realms as being like more complex places and we're going to have like Farmers and and metal workers and people who toil—they're not all like royalty, like Thor. So I guess it makes sense. But right now, Asgard is Asgard is just this place where the bearded god dudes hang out, and yeah, it feels like it feels like heaven. And there's a drought,
0: and in also this goes nowhere and accomplishes nothing. Right?
1: It's it it gives us a first page and like a last panel, and that's like
0: I thought when the, he's all like, "I'll come back in seven days." I thought the story would then be. Oh no, I have to get back there before they all die or something. But he, there's just nothing. It's just, he comes back in seven days and turns it off. What if he'd forgotten? I guess, but like, where's the drama? Nothing. there's no point to these two pages, really. They don't tie into the rest of the story.
1: Um, I did pull out where he says at the bottom of that page, um, if I were not so used to mankind, I would gladly dwell in this dimension forever. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a neat line. Because this is Thor. Theoretically and, and they've been they've been playing with this. They've been throwing in ideas that don't exactly work and just expecting us to go along. But so this idea has been morphing, but instead of Don Blake turning into Thor, we now have Thor being used to mankind. He's used to living on Earth. So I guess I guess, you know, Earth's pretty cool. That's where I keep my stuff. So I'll just keep on hanging out there.
0: Also the word dimension is interesting because You and I both talked about how he throws Loki to Asgard or at one point he looked like he was just flying through space. And I think we discussed, is he flying through space or does this later become like, is Asgard in another dimension? Does he open portals or is he just going from point A to point B? And he calls this a dimension. Now that could just be a throwaway word to make it sound fancy. Or maybe they're starting to think now that it's like in some other realm other than, you know, you can't just drive there.
1: Right. Right. I think he'll always be depicted as flying through space, but I think it is the idea is that we're going to another another dimension. I mean, there was that one panel where like he was we saw tiny earth in the background. So, mm-hmm. he was flying through space. Now, where he went to to get to Asgard, I don't know. It's not on my model of all the eight planets in sun and sun that I have, you know, of the solar system.
0: Oh, I know that outdated thing you have. Yeah.
1: So, Don Blake built the original Ultra.
0: So, yeah, this is I mean like the Asgard making it rank thing, that was like any other book. That probably would have been okay. I, were, I wouldn't have even been bothered by it. But yeah, this is where it tanks immediately, like by page three. Mm-hmm. Donald Blake built a robot. Who is this guy? When the heck did we establish that Donald Blake could do anything like this? Right? He's just a medical doctor. It's so freaking random. And they have enough geniuses in this universe, Stan. How many people need to be a genius, you know? So, like, like this – that just makes the story – like, you have to ignore it because mm-hmm. never again is Don Blake going to invent a robot, I hope. Um, I hope not. Not just any robot either. A robot that's more genius than any other human and that can handle a full-on smack from Thor. Um, and I think they said something like Thor can split a mountain. And we right. know that we know that Thor can drag his nail through an Uru metal and like and hold it like clay. Yeah. Yeah. So this thing just stood there like it was nothing. So Donald Blake made the most amazing advanced robot of all time, I guess. And here's the it, other problem with that. It too goes nowhere.
1: Yes. It's it's it introduces us to Zaxton. But the Zaxton that we get in these first pages with the robot scene There's zero menacing about him. He's just a guy. He's just there doing his job. And he's, you know, presenting this ridiculous idea. There's nothing sinister. There's nothing that hints that he's a not nice guy. And then we turn the page and suddenly he's threatening Thor and black or threatening Don Blake, rather, and blackmailing him. Um, Right. So, yeah, it's it's crazy there. Some of the stuff was less stupid ridiculous and more like comic book ridiculous. Like, whenever he's demonstrating his duplicate array, he shoots it at the typewriters. Yeah. And it reminds me of, like, an old math story problem. If Dr. Zaxson has one typewriter and he turns it into 12 typewriters.
0: I liked your tweet about that. Stop doing that. Right. that is, that's exactly what <laughs> I'm thinking. Especially the cat panel. Like, one, two, three, four, five. He made, like, ten cats and he's just sitting there, like, laughing and pressing his button over and over and over again. It's like, stop it.
1: He has no self-control. And what is Jane going to say when she comes in on Tuesday to do her work and there's a pile of 12 typewriters in her office?
0: You're ruining the ecosystem of that alleyway. Ugh. Um,
1: Yeah. And those are all Tomcats? Ugh.
0: Oh, my God. But – and that's the other thing. Like, so he can make a robot and also apparently he's so good at that that he can help this guy fix his duplicate array on living tissue, I guess, because he's also a doctor. Right. I don't know, and then why isn't Donald Blake presenting this the most amazing thing instead of Thor? That's all very Superman, of course. We've talked about that before. Like this yeah, is I mean, totally, if
1: if, yeah. It's 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 very. It's one of the lesser Superman style plots, but it is definitely a Superman style plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, now we get to the part where Don Blake turns into Thor. Uh huh. And the problem here, Mike, is that Don Blake is used to living a life where he can turn into Thor when people are looking the other direction mm-hmm. and they will not figure out that Don Blake is Thor. Right. So He's he's used to that world. He's used to that existence. So, you know, the, the Zaxxon is playing with the kitty cats and turning him into, you know, 75,000 kitty cats. He's like, okay, I'm just going to step around the curtain here and shabam, I'm Thor. And Zaxxon's like, oh, wait a second. I saw you, you that, that you're, you're Thor. So right. Zaxxon's breaking the rules.
0: Yeah, the one time when, like, consistent stupidity is thrown out the window of this really stupid story, and you actually get, like, a rational person for one panel. Um, So that's inconvenient, but you also read that and immediately know that he's going to die, because that's how they solve this Because he knows who Thor is, right. Because he knows who Thor is, so that's how they're going to solve that, and true enough, he dies in the end. Um, Um,
1: Every duplicator always has the reverse personality, which makes (sighs) me wonder if all those cats are actually affectionate and friendly. Okay, but... and if all oh, yeah. the typewriters are actually malfunctioning,
0: why do you also need a reverse personality if you're also brainwashed or controlled by his brain? He says.
1: Oh, does he say that too? I thought he. I believe you, but
0: it's the opposite don't. of Original's personality and brain under my telepathic control. So who cares what their personality is?
1: Oh you're, yeah,
0: it's like they threw in that other line so that we could have Zaxton be good guy at the end when he's de- the Original's dead and can't control his brain. I guess. That's exactly
1: right. They just fill that in there for the ending part. You are so correct.
0: Like this, uh, like this, It's not like this Thor has his own will and wants to go around being a mean Thor. He's being told to attack, so he's attacking. He never speaks. He's like an automaton essentially. And
1: um, um, Thor uses the four smacks to shoot lightning bolts. One, I'm pretty sure he's done lightning bolts with just like, you know, calling them before. Mm-hmm. I don't think it takes four smacks to do a lightning bolt, but also are we still doing the multiple tap Magic tricks.
0: And this is why the story is even the most stupid. Not only all the stuff we've said, but it's not obeying its own stupid rules within its own pages. Because we find out later that this Thor doesn't even have powers. The whole time he was running from what was essentially an empty threat. And yet, he smacks him with lightning and says something like, that would have killed an ordinary man, but he's fine because he's Thor. Well, I thought he was powerless. Is he powerless or can he take a lightning bolt? And then later... The very next panel, Zaxxon creates another Thor to block Thor's hammer from hitting his other Thor, and that Thor blocks it just fine. So, is he powerless also, or is he strong? You know, like he's strong until he doesn't need to be strong anymore. It's just kind of ridiculous.
1: Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about how how that broke the internal consistency, but yeah, because, oh, this is, there are a couple of things uh, from earlier I want to come back to, but this is the first comic that calls attention.
0: To uh-huh. the worthiness aspect. Yes, it does. It doesn't talk about how he shouldn't even be able to lift it, mind you. No. That's that's still him just being really strong, I guess. Although, right. okay, now there's another one. If right now the rules are Thor is the strongest person in the world, and so he's the only one who can lift his hammer, how can this powerful, non-powered Thor thing lift two hammers?
1: I guess, the, I guess what this story is trying to say is that he's strong enough to lift the hammer, but he does not receive, like, all the power of Thor, whatever that means. Okay. Um. So that Thor can actually use his hammer and his, you know, greater power from it to smack him down. Whereas if So the whole time, the entire time, evil Thor is chasing with these two hammers saying, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And he never actually hit, uh, lands a blow. Mm-mm. But Thor throws his hammer at fake Thor and in one shot takes him out.
0: <sighs> okay, maybe... And I hate to defend this story, but like you said, I'm rethinking this a little bit. I'm reading this. Like, maybe this clone Thor is strong and can take lightning, because he's a clone of Thor. But Thor's really worried about those two hammers because according to Thor and Loki and everybody else in the Marvel Universe in nineteen sixty three, Thor's power is completely derived from his hammer, right? Mm-hmm. So when the guy finally does land a blow, his thought bubble is, Hey, how come these hammers didn't hurt? And now he's thinking, Oh, because these hammers aren't real; they don't have right. the power. So they're just basically he's just throwing hammers at me, and so it's now like, I'm going to beat him up.
1: It's like finding out that the really heavy uh, weapons on the movie are actually made of styrofoam.
0: Right. Okay. So maybe like the the clone himself is still formidable somehow. Although right, he's able somehow. to fly. How's yeah, he? Yeah. See, fly? I, I, don't oh. think, I don't
1: think I don't think I still don't think it entirely works. But no, there, there's there's a little bit of logic. Yeah. Um, and. Okay, so when he duplicates those planes, uh-huh. I have so many questions. Okay because is he duplicating all the people inside the planes?
0: <laughs> you would think.
1: Do you have 12 copies of 150 or how many people fit on an airplane uh-huh.
0: flying together
1: or the and, building? And are they all reverse personalities <laughs> of brainwashed? That plane? Yeah. And all those planes are flying really close together. Like, they shouldn't be able to safely do that. They're going to collide with each other now that they exist. And we're going to have the duplicate Thors, you know, killing each other. It's going to be, like, 12 times that bad with duplicate planes full of 150 people.
0: Who's the guy that writes, like, he's a long-standing writer on Batman and pretty much thinks that everything is canon? Like, is that Grant Morrison or something like That's it? Morrison, yeah. He should... Take this story and run with it. I like this idea you've got. That's actually, that could be a cool part. Like he duplicates that building to make Thor knock into it. And then he duplicates the plane 58 times. Let's see all the evil brainwashed people that come out of that (laughs) in a short story.
1: (laughs) So this is, this is Robert Bernstein writing this issue Mm -hmm. and he did a lot of Superman and Jimmy and Superboy in the late fifties, early sixties, like just within a handful of years before this, but he wrote quite a bit of, he also wrote a lot of the, um, the concepts that would later be impact comics, like the Jaguar and the fly, the Archie heroes. That's what they are. The Archie superheroes. So that's what he's used to writing when he comes over and does several issues for Marvel and happily, this is his last... No, he has one more Thor.
0: Is this his first um, Thor
1: for us? Um, Looking now, he did... No, he did the last one where Superman and Luthor attacked the human race. Okay. He did the, he did the Mysterious Radioactive Man, which is one of his better ones, but still got yeah. problems with that story. Uh, was... He did the Day Loki Stole Thor's Magic Hammer.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and other Marvel stuff that he's done for us so far. He did Iron Man versus Gargantus. And he did the Stronghold of Dr. Strange over an Iron Man, the not Dr. Strange.
0: Oh, gosh. So both of those weren't great either.
1: He did the Sorcerer and
0: Pandora's Box for oh, the torch. Oh, no. That was... Wow. That could be a contender, too. I forgot about that one.
1: He did Kala, Queen of the Underworld, mm-hmm. which was uh, the one before Cleopatra, the other queen that Iron Man got to save.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And the Mad Pharaoh. Okay. So, for our show, he is going to have one more Thor and two more Ironmans, and then he's going to be gone.
0: And then our life is going to improve considerably?
1: I think so. I hate to slag off on a guy, especially because I'm pretty (sighs) sure he's not alive anymore, but man, 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 man.
0: Man. Well, I got no use for this comic if you want to move on, unless there's anything else you can think of.
1: Was there anything else? I mean,
0: if I can't think of anything else, it's just going to be more slamming, so...
1: Um, just how problematic the ending was—the fact that we created a duplicate of Zaxton with an opposite personality and killed the original.
0: Mm, he he fell. He didn't kill him, but
1: okay, but yeah, that's but then just like letting yeah. this other guy go. Uh-huh. It's, it's it reminds me of making Thug Thatcher's girlfriend Ruby forget that he exists. Right. It just I don't know. It's, it's he says weird. I
0: won't ruin the new professor's reputation in this new mental state. He can become. A boon to humanity. So I don't know. Maybe he's hoping that he'll uh, use his gen- his duplicating genius for good. So yeah, that's the other thing. Remember what we said in the beginning? the The uh, title's called the Demon Duplicators, huh? What does that no- have to do with anything?
1: Nothing demonic, and there's only one duplicator.
0: Right. So yeah, even the title makes no sense.
1: And Jane Foster, we've talked about how she's not your. She's like your least favorite character. Mm-hmm. Even she's not a terrible character in this, but she is completely disserviced. Like she is the least important damsel in distress ever.
0: She's in here one panel.
1: Yeah. He saves her on the penultimate panel of the book and it's one panel. Hey, you're saved. Okay. I'm going to go back and turn off the rain in Asgard.
0: <laughs> it is a cute little, uh, happy face. He's got on his last panel though. Thump, thump, thump. But, you know,
1: <laughs> And I love Odin, oh, so good. You ended the rainfall. I thought you I thought you'd forgotten about us meanwhile the the water's like standing knee deep.
0: <laughs> I would like to think that Odin could create and stop rain, but I don't know. maybe the, maybe Thor really is the most powerful dude ever,
1: yeah and then Thor says, no matter what, this is the land my heart calls home, which is again kind of
0: weird, which is the opposite of what he said in the first page, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the first page is like, I wish I could stay here, but I'm so used to Earth, I guess I'll hang out there. Yeah. So I guess it's not really the opposite, but it's just it's just so. Is he's, he Thor? Yeah. I guess he's Thor now. He's he just. just
0: Thor. He just. Or, yeah, he keeps throwing one hint and then another, so we're never quite satisfied with who he is, I guess.
1: But yeah, I'm done with Journey into Mystery 95. Are we ready to go on to Ant Man Tales to Astonish?
0: I'd like to listen to a little jazz trumpet.
1: Tales to Astonish 47. Starring Ant-Man and the Wasp. And coincidentally, as we're recording this, we have just recorded the episode you heard months ago about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is music to scream by. And um, it is not a uh, Robert Bernstein story. This is an A.G. Huntley story, which made me so eager because Huntley did so well by the Wasp last issue. Uh
0: Uh-huh. And
1: not so much in this one. Okay. Wow. Um, how do we start? The jazz thing comes in like later, I guess, Amy and the Watts were like doing some sort of adventure. They were saving a guy from some robbers. I think the guy happened to be from India. Mm -hmm. They were saving his, yeah, he had jewels or or a really big, awesome jewel and they were saving it because there were some robbers trying to take it. And the guy was from India and they're like, Oh, are all of our Indian stereotypes true? He's like, well, yeah, kind of, but I'm not (laughs) really a stereotype. Um, So I'm just a guy, but you know, some of that stuff's true. In fact, there's some music that can use to be used to hypnotize humans. So watch out for that kind of stuff. Like, Ooh, that's so cool. And um, Ant-Man and the Wasp go to a jazz performance and the, uh, the main bat of the story, Trago or Trago or how did you pronounce this guy's name?
0: Oh, put me on the spot. I don't even remember how you spell it. Let's see. Uh, T-R-A-G-O. Yeah, I was saying Trago, I think.
1: Okay, we'll go with Trago. So Trago um, is robbing the owner of the club. Like he steals his money because I guess he wasn't getting enough as the jazz performer of the night. So um, Jan and Hank have to take off their really nice clothes to turn into Ant-Man the Wasp and stop Trago, and Trago, uh, they get him to return the money, and the guy who owns the club is like, "Oh, you know, I guess you learned your lesson. Leave the country or die." <laughs> other, than, other than that, we're okay. We're chill. You know, just get out, just get out of the whole entire country. And Trago's like, "That sounds great. I'll just leave the country." So where does Trago go? Trago goes to India, New Delhi, and uh, he meets a guy who can make music that hypnotizes humans and he comes is like teach me everything you know master and he's like i've never had a student before but you seem pretty cool so i guess i'll make you my student and teach you all my secrets including the secret stuff i don't really want to teach you but since you're now officially my student and that's the teacher-student bond i guess i'll teach you all my secrets um yeah (laughs) so he does and like months later uh ant-man the wasp are like ooh Jazz. Remember that one time? Yeah, that was cool. And Trego is back in the States making evil music at jazz clubs and over the radio. And one day while Ant-Man and the Wasp are like sitting in front of their computers, like, um, Skyping and, and playing World of Warcraft and listening to the ants, um, suddenly, uh, the music station that Jan is listening to starts playing Trego's performance from the jazz club. And it's these huge, mean yellow notes coming out of this, the radio. So Ant-Man says, Jan, turn the radio off. And Jan turns the radio off and they're okay. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. No, she oh. doesn't. He tells her to turn the radio off and they can't reach the radio volume or something happens. I don't know what and he's like, okay, then let's shrink. So they shrink and they're still not better. So um Janet collapses, Hank collapses, but Hank's best friend Aunt, who's been like with him through this entire story, he named him Mike.
0: Mm-hmm. He named
1: him Core. Yeah. Core is so amazing. And Core goes and gets uh, Henry and takes him away from the music and such. Um takes him to I don't know. I think they go in, I think Core takes Henry and Jan to his ant house. Yep. Um, like inside an ant Hill.
0: Think tragedy. And this think snake tragedy. shows
1: up. Yes. So Henry is like, oh, no, there's a snake coming. Quick, let's get the shrinking gas out and make him shrink. So they do. They make the snake shrink just as it's attacking Core the ant. But, Mike, they weren't fast enough. Oh, and the so snake sad. kills core the ant and eats him for brunch with a with a mimosa mm-hmm. and um they're all very sad so he's like okay well core is gone hey other ant come on <laughs> and uh they fly away and they get to um the jazz club and they attack him and as super tiny people um they get into the instruments that he's using to play i think ant-man climbs into his trumpet and like wraps a some twine around the valve. And since he still has his entire strength of a full-sized man, he can pull on the twine around the valve and it bends the valve. So I can't play the trumpet anymore. And um, something else about the music. If you do it wrong, you'll actually hypnotize yourself. Yes. And so Trey goes all better now and they go home and Hank is sad about losing core.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah. And then like, they like, bring the Bible quote in at the end. Greater love hath no ant than this, that he lay down his life for his friends.
0: Was that a Bible quote?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think it's like from from one of the Johns. But, anyways, um, <clears throat> this yeah. is. this one's marginally, a little better. Yeah, marginally better than the other one, but in the sense that, like, stamping on my. Finger is less bad than stabbing (laughs) me in the gut is bad, so, you know. Well,
0: there are things I like about this one.
1: Okay, Uh, okay, let's focus on those.
0: Okay, well, again, to be repetitive, I still like Don Heck's art. I think he's either trying to change his style a little bit now, or maybe he's doing too many books, or maybe he has a different... Or he looks like he's inking himself maybe now. I don't know.
1: I think he's inking himself here, yeah.
0: So it seems a little scratchier, a little quicker looking, like... Things are a little more exaggerated, but I still enjoy it. I think it looks cool. Um, so there's that. I liked um, the beginning's cool. The opening where they're saving the day, being rock stars. It's always nice to start mid-adventure sometimes, you know. Right. Just to see them being the Ant Man and the Wasp, and and the Wasp is cool. Uh, she's still new, so it's fun to see her fighting and stuff. Still, I like it. She
1: has her she has her wasp sting out. Like she's, she's got still, that needle. Yep. She's using it. Yep, she's still using the needle. And they, Henry makes a comment about her, of course she loves a giant jewel diamond. She's a woman. Uh. I like to think that that's the side of her mind that will help her be a a mover and shaker in the fashion industry. So it's not that she, you know, has two X chromosomes. It's that she has an eye for things that are, you know, good for fashion or whatever. Now, I don't think that giant gaudy diamonds are good for fashion, but what do I know? I'm just a white, I'm just a dude.
0: Well, and it's okay for a woman to be into diamonds. It's not necessarily okay for him to just lump all women together as, you know, they all like right. diamonds because they're women. But, uh, but you know, but that's Jan, just the that, way it is.
1: Jan, Jan, don't fall for it. Diamonds are a marketing scam built on slave labor. Don't do it.
0: Sounds like a broke guy. Okay. Um, I like that she drags him out. And I like that he's, even though he's not old, he's he is older than her, but he's not old. But he always acts right. like older, like way older. And that's just his personality, which is cool. It kind of makes sense. He's a scientist. He's probably used to being a homebody. Um, I like that she can convince him to come out and that he's he doesn't really like it. <laughs> yeah, I like that he's kind of
1: uncultured and that Jan has class.
0: Yeah. Well, she's a it's socialite. One the, it's, one,
1: it's one of the better Jan moments in this story. She's, she is a classy lady. And she loves jazz and she loves modern music. And she's really into it. And Henry's like... Leave me alone. Let me play with my test tubes.
0: Yeah. And as I also like jazz, I liked it in 1963. That is where you would go if you wanted right. to go out. So, you know, nobody does that anymore. Of course. I like that Hank is smoking a pipe too. Cause that's somehow, I don't know why it's just neat. Even though I don't promote smoking, but uh,
1: it's fiction. We don't promote violence and killing people either.
0: But, you're yeah. right. You're right. It's just a cool look. That they did back in this time. For some reason, they all smoke pipes. Um, None of them smoke cigarettes. But So
1: Janet has that dress on page three. Mm-hmm. It's orange. It's elegant. It looks like some sort of um, sheer fabric that you know kind of clings. Uh-huh. And then page four, she has her wasp costume
0: under it. Yes. That reminds me of like... like uh, have you ever seen Goldfinger?
1: No. What? Sorry, James Bond is one of those blind spots for me. I apologize.
0: Well, stay tuned because we'll be having a uh, John Wilson and Michael Kaiser James Bond podcast being released here next month. But um, <laughs> I totally made that up. But in the, the beginning, one of the coolest openings of all time, that's when the show – what's when the movie – it's the third movie and it really starts to gel with all the tropes and stuff. But one of the things it does is it opens with a, with a, cape, a caper and he's in a scuba suit. And then, like, after he's done planting the bombs, he takes it off and underneath is a perfectly immaculate white tuxedo. So, that kind of reminded me of this. Only backwards, I guess.
1: Okay. Yeah. It also kind of <laughs> reminds me of – no, no, I get it. I get it. to process it. Yeah. It also reminds me of um, Batman. Yeah. He – you know, the, the perfect disguise is with his entire Batman
0: costume underneath it. With the cape and everything. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Tucked into his pants. Um, um,
0: so, yeah, like you alluded to in your summary, this is the weirdest – a uh, solution to robbing 150 bucks or however much he's robbing here—it couldn't be that much. It's a club. Yeah, but
1: it's, it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to press charges, but you have to leave the United States,
0: and I'm going to use the money I was going to pay you to buy a ticket, and he's just like, great.
1: It's weird, but you it's know what? Really weird. If you if you if this were the backup of a comic, uh-huh. and it ended with page five, yeah, you wouldn't have to change a single word of the story.
0: No, because it's kind of over, huh?
1: Yeah, I just feel it, – it, it has a perfect ending right there. It's weird and it's quirky and it's five pages, but a lot happens in those five pages. hmm And then it keeps going.
0: Unfortunately, it keeps going, yeah. Because up until that point, until the part where he, like, you know, has to leave the country, that's when I start going, hmm, maybe this story's going to tank. And, yeah, you know, it kind of right. does.
1: And, I, you know, the stereotype discussion with the Indian guy earlier – are questionable, but this had a, the first part of the story had a lot of the good stuff I like about Ant-Man stories. Mm-hmm. It had Jan being awesome. Yeah. And it had some neat Ant-Man action.
0: Yeah. So but then Shrego
1: gets to be dumb.
0: <laughs> then he goes to where he goes to, um, uh, New Delhi, New a. Delhi. Yes. New Delhi, of course. Now I don't know what kind of instrument they use over there to do the snake charming thing, or if that's even a real thing, or something I've just seen in movies. But I've never seen a trumpet.
1: A jazz trumpet, like an American trumpet in in New Delhi, yeah. India.
0: It always looked more like a recorder or some sort of like woodwind, I yeah. don't know, fluty thing or something.
1: Right. A some trumpet? of a
0: clarinet or a flute or something
1: like that. Yeah.
0: So that was kind of a weird choice. Um, and yeah, the dude is like not really fleshed out. He's only on page six, the teacher. Uh, Like you said, he kind of just agrees to teach him the entire secrets of his world, even though it's dangerous. And, you know, he doesn't really ask for his motivation or anything.
1: It's weird. He accepts him as a student reluctantly because he doesn't want to share his secrets. But then later he's like, I guess if you're my student, I must do this. Like, you decided he was your student. You didn't have to decide that. And you don't have to teach him everything if you think he's unreliable. Right. You've not written into a contract or anything. The gods are not frowning on you.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of weird, but at least some time passed. I can't remember how long they said. Oh, months.
1: Yeah this this story actually takes place over quite the span of time. Which normally, whenever a story like that happens, I like to think that the first parts happen like before some of the other recent stories.
0: Uh huh. Like a flashback. Janet has, yeah. hasn't
1: Janet hasn't been here that long. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's kind of hard to sync right now, and I guess it doesn't really matter that much because I mean he he, he was just in the fantastic four, but that could have taken place anytime, any place too. So, right. Um,
1: so when they're listening to the radio and the hypnotizing music comes across the airwaves, what is shrinking
0: going to do? I was wondering that too. I do like the big yellow, uh, notes. I think that's a cool art artistic choice. Like it's just like these, these, it's like a visual representation of the auditory assault that's hitting them. You know, that's kind of neat. Um, All I could think of was, like, that's just their gut reaction to solve everything. Shrink really fast. (laughs) You know, kind of like when they were telling the scary story about the Hulk and Sue started turning invisible. Right. Like, does that just what you do? Maybe they were thinking that if their eardrums are small enough, it won't get them. But really, it should just make it louder, I would think, for them. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah,
0: just turn it off. I don't know. He does say turn it off, but he also says first, quick, reduce to size, and then turn it off. And she – you know, didn't hear him say scratch that, reverse it.
1: Um, we do get Core called Core the Faithful, which I thought was super
0: cute. I and like that this- Core exists. I like that there's a name. I wish he had been in more than just this issue.
1: Yes. Um, and this is the one where, whenever Lily and I were doing this for Avengers Inspirations, you know, every single ant he uses, we've been calling Dave. Uh-huh. And so in this one, Dave dies.
0: Aww. And it's like, oh,
1: Dave is dead. But then he finds Dave. another one. So it's like long live Dave. Right. Cause I was going to, I went into that recording with Lily and this is like five years ago or something. And I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, Oh, after Dave's that we'll call the next one. I don't know, Bill or something. She's like, no, it's Dave. Yeah. Why so, not? Um, <clears throat> he did use core as a winged ant to ride
0: earlier. Uh-huh. So
1: now that they've done that in fantastic four, they're doing that over here now. So, so that is the nicer. thing that's going to happen now.
0: Yes. I'm so happy about that. Um,
1: now he a flying partner, especially.
0: It's cool that they make Core sympathetic, even though he's essentially just an ugly, mindless ant, you know? Mm. Like, like even the art is, he's almost cute.
1: Yeah, but not in an anthropomorphized way. It's just no. like, it's an ant, but somehow it's endearing.
0: Yeah. So I like that part of the story, too, even though it's a little, like, tangent, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like like you said, I think we, we just said before the show started that we covered... Uh, ant-man and the wasp the movie and i like in there that he cares about ants too i mean he doesn't like you know have soul crushing death experience every time one dies but he does try and name them and he does feel bad if they get crushed and stuff like that so you know hank pym in his very first adventure swore he would never step on an anthale again or whatever and i like that he he has at least some sort of relationship with the ants other than just using them as a yeah as a tool i guess
1: and the fact that they are just insects, the insects get killed all the time, was yeah. brought in as a joke in the movie, and that was really, really great. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. So, one thing that I thought was interesting, they do in the movies all the time, but they haven't really done here in the comics, at least not yet, and I don't know if they ever do or not, is they use their shrinking on something else.
0: <gasps> oh, I didn't think about that.
1: Other than, you know, that... Man in the Ant Hill experimentation scenes back in Tales to Astonish twenty seven when it was just illustrating how the power works. Other than that, we've not seen him use his size changing on external objects. It's always been on himself. Uh-huh. But um, and part of the thing is is right now they're using gas.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So if you're too close to Ant Man and the Wasp, and they release their size changing gas, you if you're think? too close, you could you could size change with them.
0: Unless he unless they're using that Golden Age Batman gas. That somehow like perfectly hits the only person he wants to throw it at. but The selective gas? Yeah, selective gas. Um, Did you notice on page 11 though, he's on the piano and he's like, oh, now I'm going to just get big and then punch him. Oh, I forgot. I don't have my giant gas option. How am I going to fight him ant size? And I'm thinking that's how you do it every story. You never, you never go giant, ever. The one time you have is when you got old and you were defeated and you had to walk, you know, walk of shame home. That was it. Right. That was it. So why are you like acting like this is something dramatic for you? That's just weird. Mourning
1: this lost opportunity that you never take advantage of anyway.
0: Right. And
1: it seems like something that, one of my, that that like a child would do. Like, you know, I never do this, but now that I can't anymore, it's like I'm really sad.
0: Yeah. I did yeah. like the piano fight, though. See, that's some of the good stuff. Again, maybe just art, but...
1: No, it, it is the art, and it's it's the it's the cool proportions and everything, and it's the... Um, I, I do have to wonder... See, one of the ways that we know that Trego is a psychotic fool is he allows a squad of ants to actually crawl up his entire body.
0: <laughs> yes, and also somehow Ant-Man dents the trumpet in just the right way so the exact perfect notes come out that reverse the thing and brainwash him or whatever that was all silly nonsense too right um
1: i almost feel like don heck was losing steam by that last page though
0: mm-hmm. but i do uh, like that last three panels especially the last one where they're kind of joined, I like the, they're sort of joined together by shadow or something that's kind of true yeah
1: i like the concept of those last three panels i do not like the faces on that penultimate panel henry's and jan's faces are wonky
0: yeah they are a little wonky a little liney um so, yeah, I mean, I think there were elements of this I like, and certainly the whole villain was kind of weird. But
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I as, as, uh, my note was a few good moments and a not-so-great story, mm-hmm. and not nearly enough of Jan being awesome. She was pretty great at the beginning, but then she went unconscious as soon as the story started. And you know. Yeah,
0: we learned that she's still a socialite, that she likes going out, that she likes jazz music, or an aficionado even to some extent. Um, Right. But that's all we get out of her, really.
1: Well, while we are counting down to future events, you know, we have one more Thor story, and then Jack Kirby comes back. We Mm -hmm. have one more Ant-Man story, and then he's no longer Ant-Man. Oh. So after next issue, we're going to have Giant-Man,
0: baby. Well, that means the Avengers must be coming.
1: The Avengers are coming soon. Because Giant-Man
0: is not an Avengers founder.
1: That's right. We were going to have Avengers number one before we have him grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, we're going to have Avengers number one before we have the porcupine.
0: Oh, Oh. okay.
1: Oh, crap. Avengers and X-Men are next month's issues. Yeah. So we've got this month, we're doing the first half of now and the second half of next time. Then we've got annuals and then then the next month, July 1963, that's the X-Men and the Avengers.
0: Avengers number one is being advertised in the book we're going to cover right now.
1: Yes. And we're going to talk. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that advertising? Because I actually have a thing about that. advertising.
0: Go ahead. I'm looking at it right now.
1: Okay. So in the, uh, our next comic is the Fantastic Four 18. Mm-hmm. And in that comic is a two page house ad about all these comics that are coming soon. Right. Sorry. I had to cough. And um, those are the Fantastic Four annual one, which is where Namor finally finds his people. Mm -hmm. And he attacks the surface world with them. Then there is the Avengers, number one, which is, of course, the Avengers. It's Marvel's first bringing together of established heroes into a team.
0: Their first super group.
1: Right. Uh, Then you have the X-Men, number one, which is sort of an experiment book for them. They're not entirely sure how well it's going to do, and we don't actually get a cover. We just get uh-huh. the uh, the title logo. Yeah. And the other really big book of the season is Strange Tales Annual 2. Oh, whoops. Now, Strange Tales Annual 2 is an annual. It is a, you know, supposedly big comic. I never want to read it again after we cover it for, next, for that episode.
0: <laughs> well, it's- looks like it's got Spider-Man interacting with the torch, so that should be big, or sh- theoretically should be big.
1: It should be big, and um, I have stories to tell about that. We can talk about it more when we get to it, but, um, but yeah. It might not actually be a terrible Torch story compared to his other Torch stories, but it is a contender for worst Spider-Man story ever.
0: Well... You know what? Lately, we've been liking Strange Tales more than we used to. So maybe you'll maybe we brainwashed you enough that you'll maybe you'll read this and find some things to like about it.
1: So I wanted to gauge fan um, reactions to these comics uh, because we are doing the um, we are doing going to be covering all four of these here very very soon in the next few weeks. And so I was asked uh, on Twitter I asked a poll of these four comics, which one excites you most? And I will tell you. That this was a roller coaster of emotions because there were various leading titles. The Fantastic Four number one took the lead for a while. X Men number one took the lead for a while. And whenever um, I asked Lily to vote, she voted for the Avengers number one, and she was second from the bottom at the time that she voted. Mm -hmm. But then by the end, by uh, the end of the poll, which was actually just like within the last hour as we're recording, because I wanted to, I wanted to end right before we started talking. Um, the Avengers number one came in with a third of the votes. Oh. Um, so our crowd is most excited for the Avengers one with the X-Men one, one vote fewer. Okay. So it's right behind fantastic for annual, no, sorry, two votes fewer. So the Avengers one had 10 votes. X-Men one had eight votes. Fantastic four annual one was one vote fewer than that with seven and the remaining 17% of the votes was it Strange Tales Annual Two? So, um, yeah.
0: Hey, I can get behind an Avengers fan base. That's cool with me.
1: That's cool with me too. I like I like the Avengers. It'll be interesting you and me talking about the Avengers and Cap without just focusing on Cap's perspective.
0: Um, we're not doing that, but no, <laughs> no we are Avengers no. One anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. At least those first three, right?
0: Yep. All right. You want to tackle Fantastic Four number eighteen?
1: Yes, yes. I was about to sigh and say, "Do we have to?" But I remember those were the first two comics. Now we're in. Now we're
0: <laughs> now we, we're doing we fantastic. We went from course. horrible to mediocre to what I think is good, but we'll see. Uh, this came out in June on June eleventh. Cover dated September nineteen sixty three. It's called "A Scroll Walks Among Us." It's by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, of course. And it so opened- just to
1: clarify the uh, the first two comics were the first week. And now this comic and the ones uh-huh. from next episode were all second week.
0: Right, right. Uh, so that was kind of unusual. Um, it starts out, all the kids are at home and they're watching TV and stuff about themselves. And then I think like uh, they have some shenanigans that whatever. And then um, Reed and Sue go off to Hawaii together or something. So that's pretty interesting. They just they want to test out Reed's new rocket and go swimming in Hawaii. So they, they fly away and, and leave Johnny and Thing home alone. Um but that's not what the issue is about, even though it probably could be. Um, instead, we cut to, you know, I don't know where, some place where the scrolls live in space. And they're really upset about that one time they went to Earth and the Fantastic Four humiliated them. Um, so they've been working and they've created a super soldier, not Captain America, but their own super scroll and the super scroll has all the abilities of the fantastic four invisibility fire strength stretchiness but like at crazy nth level nth degree or something like that so i don't need to get into all of it but like he can stretch not just a little bit but like thousands of miles away to pick up a rock or a fish or something that they ask him to get and he can lift a hundred 1,000 million tons or something, and the thing can only lift five or whatever. So things like that. So it sounds pretty scary. So they send him to Earth to go claim it, basically. And we cut back to the Fantastic Four. They're all back again together. And they're at the mall, and they're trying to be low-key. But that doesn't really work because the thing looks like the thing. And so they start getting mobbed. um, And there's some shenanigans about how popular they are. But then they hear on the radio that – some alien has landed in Times Square, so they all try and make their way over there. And it is the Super Scroll, and he's on a ship, and he's standing there looking very triumphant, very namer like And he has a flag, and he just kind of plants it there on the sidewalk and says, Yup, this is mine. Um, and I think the Human Torch is the first to show up and starts to fight him, but pretty much gets trounced. And as he's falling to his death, luckily, the second and third to show up is... Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman, and Mr. Fantastic turns the rubber and, like, saves him from falling and asks Sue to, like, nurse him back to health because, you know, that's what women do. And, uh, he tries to attack the Super Scroll, but he gets outstretched big time. And just as he's about to die, the thing finally makes his way over there because he's the slowest, I guess, and tries to get into a fist fight with him, but he gets easily destroyed and punched across the city to where he ends up, like, hanging on to a, the top of a building for dear life. Um, they kind of reconnoiter, or no, the Human Torch, like, gets revived, because even if you give Sue the woman's job, she does it really well. So, he got revived, and he goes back and tries to fight again, while they all try and reconnoiter, and, like, eventually realize that this thing is too powerful for them, so they run away, essentially. Um, and the scroll is feeling so good about himself, he lets them, and kind of says to himself, they can run now, and I 'll just challenge them again when they come back, I 'll destroy them tomorrow or something, because uh, they 're no threat to me. So they go home, which is a bad move for the scroll, because now Reed can go home and he 's back in his lab, and he figures out that it's not that the scroll is just completely powerful, it's that power is being fed into him from the scroll, home world, because no human, no human body, no scroll body, no body in general, I guess, could be that powerful. All on its own. So he figures out where it's coming from and he uses his super brain to create a jamming device. And then he sends out like this little, uh, uh, like flying uh, robot thing to like challenge the scroll and tell them where to meet. And they want to meet on this island in the middle of nowhere so no one else can get hurt. And the plan is to, uh, have Sue, or no, the plan is to attach the jammer onto the scroll. And of course, Johnny's like, I'll do it. And Reed is like, no, no, we need the ninja of our team to do this. So, of course, that's Susan. Um, So they make it to this island and they start to fight and their goal is to distract him. And they're doing a good job. But it also turns out he has one more power that he hasn't told anybody. And that is that he can hypnotize everybody. He can hypnotize people. So one by one, he hypnotizes the torch and the thing and uh, Reed Richards. But not Sue because she's invisible and she leaps off of a rock and lands around his neck. Pretty much like wrestles him down and gets the jammer on him. And he's like, oh, no, I'm just a regular scroll now. But the other three Fantastic Four are hypnotized and basically just statues at this point. And he's like, you know what? I'm still a scroll. I can still shape change. I'm still powerful. I'm going to go kill you. So he starts chasing her like up this little cliff. But I guess they snap out of it and she sort of trips him down this cave and Reed, like snatches her before she can fall too and then Johnny like seals him in with his fire um and then i think they just high five and that's the end yeah yeah um i want to say like oh, the, the, i want to say the scrolls were watching the entire time and were kind of upset about the whole thing but
1: yeah the uh, the scrolls cuz they tried to they tried to help the super scroll and it didn't work and yeah but yeah you got all the main points and the ending Once they beat the guy, it's just kind of like, okay, we're done. Mm -hmm. Let's go home now.
0: Yeah. It's like a bunch of floating happy heads or something.
1: They, they trap him in a, uh, they, they put the rock on top of his crater and then it's (laughs) just the floating heads. So, um, you know, it's crazy sometimes that these comics can come from the exact same company, the exact same time. Yeah. Like you have the two things we already talked about and then you have this and, I don't know if I've mentioned this thought on the show before. I may have done. But over at the Fantastic Cast, whenever they covered Strange Tales, it was the Fantastic Four, and it was Strange Tales. Uh-huh. And every month, of epi- every month, you had those two comics. And so it's no wonder that Strange Tales always suffered. Oh, yeah. Because the oh, Fantastic yeah. Four is often so good. Here, we generally are a bit more lenient on Strange Tales, a bit more fond of it, actually, because so much of... The other stuff Marvel was doing was kind of run-of-the-mill, at least for just a little bit longer. Marvel's about to step up their game here in the next few months of comics, but, but this is like a shining star of comic
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. even, coming out. Even if we don't always pick FF as our favorite book, although I do think we pick it often, Yeah, it is extremely clear to me that at least in 1962 and 1963, this was Marvel's baby like Mm -hmm. this if you're gonna waste if you have any energy left put it in the fantastic four book um i don't think how i don't know how long that's gonna last i mean spider-man's already a pretty big contender in his first two issues um yeah so it'll be interesting to see when i when i don't feel that way anymore but right now every time i open up the fantastic four it's like yep they were trying real hard again
1: yeah yeah and um you know, Jack Kirby, he he's not doing everything anymore. Maybe that's a big part of it. Maybe it's the Lee Kirby magic mm-hmm. that seems to happen in Fantastic Four so much. Yeah. So, um, just going through this issue, we don't always talk about the covers in our comics. I don't know if we should try to talk about the covers in the comics, but the coloring on this cover has always impressed me. Because, and the first time I saw this and realized, but, excuse me, burping right on the show. There you go, guys. Um, first time I saw this and realized it, um, I thought maybe it was a recolored cover, uh-huh. but they do some like really cool gradient.
0: Work oh, yeah. Yeah, they all do. On these colors. Well, I have to say, I think I looked at this cover five times before figuring out that the Super Scroll was not Johnny. So <laughs> I was like, how come there's five Fantastic Four? I don't get it. Oh, yeah, because that's the Super Scroll. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, but, like the thing, I see what you're saying. The things like orange is kind of. Shaded and
1: Yeah, just they're just different depths to Uh the orange and the sky. It just makes it makes it look really
0: modern in Uh a way that
1: covers don't always look modern, but Mm -hmm. um so I rather enjoyed that.
0: I love the opener. I feel like, you know, I don't want to summarize those openers all the time. Or, you know, there's always every time in the Fantastic Four book, some of my favorite parts are where they're just hanging out together doing dumb stuff that doesn't really matter. But Mm -hmm. so I don't really summarize that in any great detail because and we got to move along, but I do like those things. Like this opening is really fun with them all watching TV and the thing wanting to see himself because they're going to show the thing, and then they're like, "Oh nope, sorry, we ran ran out of time," <laughs> and they show a comer- dog show commercial instead, and he throws a tantrum and ends up
1: almost breaking the TV.
0: That's just all neat. And then like you know, you can't just go on a date. First of all, they're going on a date, which is cool because now they're dating. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yep you they can't are. just go on a date you gotta go like on a super date so they're in their Fantastic Four astronaut outfits and they're gonna test his new ICBM uh, intercontinental ballistics missile to see if they can get to, Ho- I think they were going to Hawaii yeah, Hawaii and, and
1: they're going to Hawaii and Sue is already decked out in beach garb uh-huh. and Reed is in his Fantastic Four outfit
0: <laughs> Maybe As they're
1: putting uh, on the space suits uh,
0: yeah. so one of them is wrong I'm not sure which one though <laughs> uh, it's supposed to take 30 minutes, but you'd think if you were in a missile, maybe Sue don't wear a bikini just yet or a, you know, swimsuit just yet. But
1: well, I think that like, like that really, you know, non-porous material up against your bare legs would be uncomfortable and make your skin sweat. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things in that scene, just a little bit earlier in the opening panel, they're watching TV and reads like, he's talking about our last adventure, uh-huh. like unnecessary expositionary dialogue for the kids. And Thing totally calls him out on it. That's for guys who are too cheap to buy our mag.
0: Right? I love that. <laughs> and then the, and, and the guy, like on the news, if you see Dr. Doom, call the police immediately. And Torch is like, um, yeah, do that.
1: <laughs> but the, the Torch says, is he kidding? Do they expect Doc Doom to go walking around town in that getup? Yep. And I'm thinking, Torch, y'all thought he would. Remember last uh-huh. issue when you went to go search the surrounding neighborhood for Dr. Doom? Right. But maybe Doom being disguised as the janitor has, like, taught Johnny a lesson or something. I don't know.
0: I don't either. Or i was trying to think if he actually did walk around as Dr. Doom, but I don't think he has.
1: No. Um, But I now know what an ICBM is. Like, they've mentioned it a couple times, especially in the diagrams, but I never looked it up before. And I never knew what an ICBM was. I figured it was some sort of special missile, but I do know now. Would you you like to know what an ICBM is?
0: Um, Well, it says, but I don't really know still.
1: What well, intercontinental ballistics missile, right? What does that mean? I have so, no idea. So okay. There are ballistics missiles and there are cruise missiles. Cruise missiles are powered on the entire flight mm-hmm. and they can like change direction to all this stuff. Ballistics, do you remember like high school physics where you learned that when you throw a ball into the air, it follows a parabola? Like it's always like a mathematical path that it's gonna follow. Right. And it's always like it's it's this one horseshoe curve and, and if you know the angle that something launches and the speed with which it launches, you can mathematically predict exactly how far it's going to go, mm-hmm. how long it's going to take to go there, all that other stuff. Right. So ballistics missiles use that technolo- that uh, that concept. Although they do have power, they're not powered very much on the flight. They're powered enough to get up. And since it's intercontinental, it's going to go all the way up into like suborbital mm-hmm. in the top of its parabola before it comes back down. So it uses that same concept. It just had some some rocket with it to get it up to speed and everything else. But it basically follows a parabolic flight.
0: So what, so, what you're saying is, once they get to Hawaii, there's no way to get back.
1: Um, they'd have to like launch the missile <laughs> and to get back. Yeah. So they need like a missile launching pad.
0: Whoops. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's already I don't know one that there. Can,
1: I don't know how you land.
0: Right. <laughs> that too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh yeah. I love
1: seeing the four just doing their own thing.
0: Okay. So I love this dialogue. I think I actually laughed out loud, like literally, with this, but he's right. like, he's like, um, he 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 stomps around throwing a tantrum and they're like, oh no, you're gonna break the TV. And he's like, relax, I caught it. I wouldn't want Johnny to miss Mickey Mouse Club tonight. And then <laughs> and then Sue's like, Ben, you should be ashamed of yourself. And Reed's like, You big clown, if we didn't love you so much, and Johnny's like and you're the one who sent away for a Mouseketeer pin when no one was looking. He's like, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if, if Ben were Lily, yeah. she would say, all right, you know what? I just came out here to have a good time and I'm suddenly feeling so attacked right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was all great stuff. Oh, um, uh,
1: yeah. It's, we it's get to awesome. see the home
0: Homeworld. Yes. Um, so what do they call? I could remember the summer. It's called the Fifth Quadrant. Of the Andromeda yeah, Galaxy, you,
1: you you can't have five quadrants. <laughs> a quadrant is dividing up into four. That's like in the word. Each one is a sector. The fifth sector of the Andromeda Galaxy, but but quadrant means four. So you can't have five of those. So, do oh you well.
0: think he just goofed, or do you think he's like it'll be really clever to make a mathematically impossible galaxy?
1: You know, Stanley, I find both of those explanations <laughs> equally believable. Right. <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't know if they keep up with that. Um, I don't know much of, I know a little about the scrolls, but not necessarily their home planet, but, uh, yeah,
1: well, actually, um, since this is the first time we've seen the ruler of the scrolls, I realized I didn't really know a whole lot about him. Mm -hmm. So I looked up just a little bit of biography on the scroll ruler here. Mm -hmm. Um, they never call him this, but his title is emperor. Which, you know, the the head of the Scroll Empire would be called an Emperor. That makes sense. And he is Dorek. D-O-R-R-E-K. He is Emperor Dorek the Seventh. Okay. Now he is called Emperor Dorek the Seventh because he killed Emperor Dorek the Sixth and married his daughter. Okay. So he is actually a usurper to the throne. Cool. And um we're going to find, I think it's the next scroll story that his daughter is not pleased with the tyrannical nature of the scroll empire. Um, so th- th- it's not exactly a happy home in Casa de Scroll King.
0: Now, if I recall from FF number two, we had a bit of a head counting issue as who, how many scrolls there were versus how many there were later. Mm hmm. Does that play out here? Is one of these scrolls supposed to be the one that got away, or is that in some other issue?
1: Yeah, we're not going to see that fourth scroll come back up until um, the kree Scroll War. Oh geez, which if okay. if we ever get there. Oh okay. So never mind. So we 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 can write off that fourth scroll for now. He is he is outliving his life and becoming a, a, a U.S. politician.
0: Okay. Oh, so he's on Earth still. I gotcha. Right. So they were just watching all this. From their monitor, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I noticed that there was was a time note here. They say a year ago, and they say last year. So it's been about a year, but this is issue 18, Mm -hmm. and they were bi-monthly for a while. We are actually almost two calendar years out from Fantastic Four number one. So they've already compressed the timeline just a bit.
0: Uh, Well, it does say one week later. (laughs) That doesn't help. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't help <laughs>
1: in the months that happen in that Ant Man <laughs> issue. But you know, theoretically, the 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 Marvel universe right now is about a year old.
0: Okay. Which is cool so, because, you know, in the modern Marvel it's always like ten years ago is their kind right. of their sliding timeline. So we're not in a sliding timeline right now.
1: No, things are cooking along and I feel like I feel like the events that we've seen basically in all of our books together could happen in about a year's span. Yeah. Um, easy. I, don't, I don't have any problem with that. That seems pretty easy to do. Um, and uh, we go, oh, but, but go one ahead. thing on the, before we keep on going from the next page, he says that he emptied the treasury with his whole effort with the super scroll. So not only is emperor Doric a usurper, not only is he a terrible person and leading a terrible empire, but he has emptied the money boxes just to try to conquer earth. So this is not the, this is not the best choice
0: yeah a country that puts that much money into their military Pfft, i don't know right um then we get all these and more fun shenanigans at the mall i particularly like ben shopping for a bowling ball for some reason um and then the guy's like yeah a gorilla can stick his fingers in there he's like "Yeah, whatever crunches it and the guy's like i know i saw it happen but <laughs> another good line that was that was really funny. Yes.
1: That was good. He's like, I can't play bowling. And just randomly, Reed and Sue are still in the States or back in the States?
0: I said a week later. Okay.
1: So I guess they're randomly back so, in the States just at the time as, as yeah. Ben is coming by.
0: Well, they were just going to go swimming. It was supposed and to take Waikiki 30 minutes. Beach. Yeah, 30 minutes. So it's presumably they came back the same day if they could figure out a way to get that rocket to come back. But uh, Oh,
1: for some reason I feel like they were going on some sort of extended vacation. But I guess you're right. They just left.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess it takes the scroll a little while to get here, too, but that's okay. A week doesn't seem like that long when you're coming from a fifth quadrant.
1: Can I talk for a second about the Super Scrolls' power demonstrations here? Yeah, of course. Okay, so the idea is that he can not only do their powers, he can beat their powers. Uh And, like, the Emperor is insistent upon this. Whenever he is doing something that looks like it might not be actually better than the Fantastic Four, he's like, no, 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 it's not good enough. So he stretches over to get... A seashell mm-hmm. from a hundred mi- miles away. Yep. A Specto fish, a Specto fish. A hundred miles in 30 seconds, which means a hundred miles there and a hundred miles back. Yeah. It's actually, a hundred miles in 15 seconds. Wow. That is insanity fast. Yeah. I, I did the math. That's over 24,000 miles per hour. Which is five times faster than our record-breaking fastest air vehicle, the X-43A Scramjet. So, um, he doesn't just stretch. he is like Superman stretching. Wow, no wonder he beats them all up. No wonder he wins. And uh, the one other thing I had is that that diagram of him lifting up the weight, uh-huh. the physics on that don't work. It sure looks cool, though. It, it is a really cool design. But the way he's on that, when he's lifting up with his arms, his feet are going to be pushing down on those things that he's standing on. You know what?
0: Wow. Because I'm just looking at that and I guess I'm applying Superman to him or something and thinking he can fly. But yeah, he can't.
1: as As the torch he could, but he's not flamed on right
0: now. Right. So he's just standing there and pulling on a hook on a platform. So it really should be going nowhere or just right. ripping off or something.
1: Or if there's some other mechanism that's making him go up and he's not lifting that thing, he's just able to hold it in the air. Which 100 tons, yeah. holding that and suspending it, that's pretty great. Yeah. But um, but he's not, he's not actually doing the pulling. Yeah. But it is a very cool-looking series of panels. They should
0: have had him pushing it up or something. Anyway. Uh, um, so,
1: yeah, we're back to Earth. Um, they're coming back together.
0: And they get recognized. I really like the panel where uh, Super Scroll arrives. That's very, uh, I don't know, what the word is, but
1: yeah, it's he looks, really cool. He's, he looks powerful. It reminds me of um, the Namor arrival uh, right? that we're going to see in Fantastic Four Annual
0: when he's just walking through the street,
1: right? Just yeah. like being the king. He does call it the Imperial Scroll Empire, and I am thinking Imperial Empire is a little bit <laughs> redundant.
0: They want to really make sure that you know
1: it's the really awesome Wilson awesomeness.
0: Uh, I love New York. Of course, they're all like, oh, aliens. That's creepy. That's crazy. I've never seen an alien before, even though we've been attacked a million times by aliens now. But then finally, all that changes to, hey, who do you think you are, pal? Right. Uh,
1: And I love the line on page nine. He says, he must think he's Columbus or something, planting that nutty banner in the street. (laughs) And I'm like, good call on Columbus. He was not a good person. Now we just need the Super Skull to start force converting, pillaging, raping, murdering. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, well, that's their plan. Um, that
1: is literally their plan.
0: They still don't quite look like scrolls will look. I think we no. I think we talked about that when we in issue two also. They got these weird bug eyes that I actually quite like, uh, especially on this page nine we're talking about where he's pointing his finger up and talking about how you know before long mm-hmm. I shall issue the first imperial orders. He looks super bizarre, but I like it.
1: Yeah, I like that he's not um, toady anymore Mm -hmm. like those first scrolls were like sniveling they remind me of the ferengi from the early next generation yeah and this guy actually has some stature to him
0: uh Uh, cool fight cool fight i mean i love our i love our commentary on fights where i just say oh yeah cool fight shrug but it is a cool fight this whole book is a lot of fight and this is probably the first guy they've fought that that uh is like a super villain isn't it like physically like
1: yeah like super villain yeah yeah
0: I'm trying to think, uh, like, g-
1: giving them an actual run for their money on their
0: power levels. I mean, I guess Doom could maybe do that, but has he? Not really.
1: No, and Doom Doom operates through you know through trickery, through mm-hmm. machinations. This guy is you know, give me this is this is the di- this is the Dragon Ball tournament fight,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I do love that we have instantaneous video communication from one galaxy to
0: another. Uh, subspace, yeah
1: okay, subspace all right, <laughs> <laughs> but as any Star Trek fan knows, even subspace takes a while once you get far away
0: <laughs> yeah yeah in the fifth quadrant
1: right so, of the Andromeda galaxy
0: what do you think of Reed Richards turning his ham- hand into a mallet? I had mixed feelings about that
1: yeah well, you have some you have some interesting perspectives on him and what he should or should not be able to do that I never thought of before um, well, because you have yeah, you
0: have like the plastic man guy right right which to me is a lot more like mr impossible like he can plastic man can do things and when he does those things he is that thing like he could turn into a hot air balloon and he floats Mm -hmm. or he could turn into a lamp and i'm pretty sure it would light or you know in like an alternate in the frank miller future batman stuff he turns into a chainsaw and like chops people's arms and legs off you know what i mean like he could be the things he's not just stretchy like, like Elongated Man or Reed Richards. So sometimes I worry, like, not worry, but, you know, wonder, like, can a guy who can stretch make his hand into a big mallet like that?
1: I think I would like it better if it were a fist that were shaped kind of like a mallet. Mm-hmm. But it still looked like a fist. Right. Because then he then he's stretching his actual features, not rearranging the shape of his body.
0: Right. He looks like he just created this mallet up on the end of his arm.
1: And, I, you know, I never heard you... I never thought of this idea before you mentioned it back in the beginning of our show, but the idea of Reed Richards and how he stretches his body, his like head and shoulders are usually still kept pretty well together, mm-hmm. and you have a good example on page 12 of why that should be, because on page 12, the first Fantas- uh, Mr. Fantastic panel, he looks like Mr. Fantastic. On the next one, he looks like a head <laughs> attached to some stretchy stuff.
0: Right, and he stretches his neck in the mall, too, which bugged me a little, because we should be beyond that now, but... That was more comical, I guess. Um.
1: we um let's see there was something I was going to say whenever the scooper scroll is fighting Johnny. Uh-huh, and he says, I can fry the very air around you until it turns into black carbon. That is not a thing. Okay, Air does not burn. it is not combustible. I mean, sure, oxygen is an important part of fire, but the other important part of fire is fuel. You have to have substances that can combust and air doesn't, which is why your fires don't ignite the atmosphere.
0: I thought he was going to say that he was going to steal his oxygen. So he he apparently burns the air all around him into into black carbon. Yeah. He creates black carbon somehow. So that was a little weird. I guess he
1: can find some way to do it because it happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love that the thing arrives last, even though he doesn't do much better. He does a little better. Um, Saves Reed just in the nick of time, and then uh, yeah, he gets catapulted across the city. But still, some really good panels there.
1: There are some good panels. I love the the super scroll battering ram, uh uh-huh. And like, I think this was the first time as a kid that I saw a battering ram being actually ram shaped,
0: <laughs> right? And, and he, I just thought that was he knows what a ram like, is clever, but it's
1: yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing, he knows what a ram is on earth, right? We did heard of that. But that's actually what battering ram. that's why they're called that. Original battering rams, like in the olden days, the ends were shaped like ram's heads to like, I don't know, ram into the stuff. So they um, they got their name from the actual animal they were made to resemble.
0: I didn't notice the whole parachute reed thing. That also <laughs> looks a little wonky to me, but I guess that's doable. But it, yeah, it's like you could see his body still. So it's not like he's stretching his body. I don't know what's going on there.
1: Is apparently stretching just a little bit of his skin out there. He's basically doing like a flying scroll routine. He does, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. It's a really cool fight, really well drawn. I like, uh, I like, um, I like that Reed solves the problem with science. Of course,
1: I like that he the super scroll turns fiery and invisible. Oh
0: yeah, with the bow, with the bow and arrow.
1: Yeah, that's scary. Imagine having to watch out for the invisible fire.
0: Right. That's
1: freaky tiki.
0: Yeah, and he kind of looks like Hawkeye in that panel. <laughs> His ears look like the mask of Hawkeye. Anyway, future—it's the future, foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, we're, we're not. Uh, Hawkeye is not too far away. Uh, he might be actually. Yeah, he's like um, sixteen, I think. Anyway, uh, no, that's the Avengers. He's in. He's an Iron Man before he. Is in oh, the Avengers. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we got to the suspense with a black and Hawkeye long before that. Um. Okay. So. They go to Crater Isle. Uh huh. Do you know where Crater Isle is, Mike? I didn't know that was real. Is that a real thing? It's Monster Isle after the Mole Man blew it up. What? Wow. Not really, oh. but like, but like, that's what it should be. Yeah. Because Monster Isle still exists, but I think you know the Monster Isle, and then and then Mole Man blew it up, so now it's a big crater. We're just going to call it Crater Isle now. I like that idea. <laughs> but no. Why not? Uh, if only they asked me for head right? I know,
0: right? Um. But the fight on there is cool too. I really like um, that Sue gets the. Do you think like they're just going out of their way now to give Sue as much to do as possible? Because I feel like between this and last issue where she takes on Doctor Doom and wins all by herself, like uh, right, like they're really taking to heart all these people writing bad things about her.
1: Well, whatever their motivation is, giving her more stuff to do and having her be like the the Dea Ex Machina. And I intentionally didn't say Deus because it's feminine. I think that's right. Dei Ex Machina, I think, is really um, a good choice. She's coming out of nowhere because she's invisible, and she's saving the day because that's what she does.
0: Uh huh. And it's the a cool only panel other, too.
1: It is a very cool panel. The only other note I had on this was that whenever Reed realized that the scroll was too powerful, his logic is, we can't beat this guy, so he must be impossible. <laughs> Which is totally read logic.
0: It isn't po- it isn't possible for anyone to be as powerful as a super scroll. Yeah, like how would he know based right? on an alien? Right
1: now he's right, but still, mm-hmm.
0: it's. it's- um, I have my only last thing I want to say is like they essentially seal him off into this cave, and it even says airtight. Um, so like they're just fine with killing him apparently because how is he going <laughs> to live in there?
1: Yeah, I was thinking that's basically how they killed the super scroll. He can't eat. He can't. How can I breathe without you?
0: So yeah. I I have never read the first appearance of the Super Scroll. I mean, I have now. Yay for this show. Yay. But uh, so I knew about him. I kind of didn't really know. I assumed he was like a unique member in his species that they can't all do that. Right. Um, but he doesn't remain. He doesn't maintain this power level. I know that
1: no and that's kind of a trope with villains in general mm-hmm. is a, so many villains are a lot more badass in their first appearance mm-hmm. than in later appearances they have to find new ways to be cool or end up just being less cool and the super scroll um is definitely one of a kind um
0: like by th- and by the end of this issue he has no super scroll powers
1: yeah was, but they find a way to reinstate that I'm uh, sure. that's
0: what I was going to say so at some point he figures out a way to get that back and I assume it's not a beam anymore but it's probably less powerful but I don't know what that is
1: yeah we'll get there yeah. it'll, it'll take a little while we'll get there um, so yeah that was a Fantastic Four 18 it was a pretty cool issue it was
0: um, we'll see if it wins the month but we won't see till next uh, maybe next episode either next or the one after because we got those annuals to deal with too
1: Oh, yeah. Well, one of the annuals came out this month and one of the annuals came out next month. I wasn't sure if we should include them in our best of the month. Um, oh,
0: sure. That's not. Why not? They still come okay. out. Okay. I think. Yeah, I don't know. They, they
1: did. Well, I don't know. All Do you right, think
0: that's well, unfair because there's five stories in each of them or something?
1: No, no, no. It's just one big story and then reprints.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell actually, you right now. The Strange,
1: now, Shows one, is not, the Strange Shows one is not even a big story. It's a regular size story and then a whole bunch of reprints.
0: Can I just say right now, so I don't say it later, my least favorite comic this month is journey into mystery number 95 <laughs> I don't even care what the other ones have to say
1: oh wait just wait we'll, <laughs> we'll see if you feel that way in a couple of episodes
0: because oh, of strange Tales annual number two I heard I heard right. from somebody is very bad
1: we'll see maybe I'm biased maybe it's just my opinion we will see what you think when we get there okay uh, so I guess um, before we go I have been lax the last few episodes about extending thanks to those of you who support the show, and I wanna, I wanna shout out a few names. So, um, the following people have liked the Make Ours Marvel page on Facebook, and they are Shag Matthews, wow. one of the two Lords Almighty over at the Fire and Water Network. So, thank you, Shag, for supporting the show. He's the water Joe one, right? B- yeah. Yeah, he's the no 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 he's the fire. Uh, I was just here. trying to trick you. Go ahead. Oh yeah, got got me off guard. Joe Fishman uh, is a is a um, friend on Facebook. He also supports us. And Kyle Slaby has recently liked us and has been sharing links. So thank you very much to all of those. And um, let's see. Oh, I lost the Twitter list. Okay, hold on. I gotta bring this back here. All right, there we go. So I think the last person I mentioned for liking us on Twitter was the charming curmudgeon. So moving up from there, we've actually had quite a few li- uh, follows on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. Right. So we have the JLI podcast. Oh, that is a fire and water network podcast. That is chronicling the justice league international ha era. Um, and it's, it's a well put together show. Like they have structure and segments and format and it's pretty great. I have a guest spot slated way down the road for one particular issue, but it's going to be another couple of years before they get to it. Okay. Um, the Kirby cast, mm. which is a podcast devoted to Jack Kirby's Bronze Age work, starting with his move to D.C. What? No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. What are we doing? Come on. The the, the Bronze Age Kirby. I see. Gotham Tweets, uh-huh. which is at Gotham Tweets. Chris Buse. Uh, Kyle Slavey again. Unless it's his evil twin, his Twitter twin, Sarah Century gave us a follow whenever hey. we started making plans for her to come be on the show, and uh, hopefully she'll be on the show again. And Jason Sixty Four Bit, a uh, person who just goes by the name of Tags, his Twitter handle is Tag Says. He's a proud Canadian. Uh. so Joe Crawford, father of three, reader of all comics, um, Lori Suto, Robert McDonald a person that just goes by Carter. Uh, This guy, he and I just gave each other a mutual follow today. His, his, like, the big name that you see, not the Twitter handle, but the big name is just like Kev Beatty. Uh And so I saw Kev Beatty. I was like, okay, he's saying cool things, follow. And then his description is all these other things he's geeky about. And then at the end of his description says, oh yeah, and I'm a general. And I just happened to glance up at his cover photo and he is a spitting image of General Zod from the Donner film. Like, he's got that... (laughs) that that (laughs) facial hair Uh and that look at his twitter handle it is i am zod neil oh which i think is pretty great so kev you made my day today when i saw that 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 gave me a chuckle and the marvel universe mmo uh, also follows us mmo what's mmo as in multiplayer
0: massive multiplayer online wow okay interesting
1: So thank you all very much for your support on the um, on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Please do continue retweeting whenever we share new episode links that lets other people in your circle of friends know about our show. And that always gets the net word out. And on Facebook as well, sharing posts for new episodes when they go up. That is always very helpful for getting the show out there.
0: Yes. And write us emails and stuff. Write us emails. Go to makearsmarvel.com. Use the email form or write directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Check out the show uh, posts. They always got images or sometimes videos. Um, and, of course, our website has all the links to everything you need, like social media and our feeds.
1: Yes. So um, I guess that wraps everything up. And, you know, I liked the Super Scroll story. One Super Scroll was great. I don't know if we need more, so until the Earth is invaded by dozens of super scrolls,
0: make ours marvel.